My name's Katie and I'll be doing the Bible reading for you tonight. Um, we've got two readings. Our first one is Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5 and our second one is Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. So we will start with Matthew. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Our second reading is Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up, to, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, good evening. It's great to have you all here with us again tonight. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, my name's Ken. And if you have met me, my name's also Ken. That's a dad joke for you, the compulsory run for Father's Day. Special gift to all of you out there. Um, tonight, we're, uh, we're, as, as Pete said, we're continuing our series called Conversations That Matter. And we're come to, to uh, a, a great topic. But if the things that have been said over the last three weeks, anything that's said tonight has made you think, I really need to explore more about Jesus, then a reminder or informing you that on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, we're starting Discover. Uh, it's four Tuesday nights meeting together with other people around supper uh, to explore who Jesus is. What did he teach? Uh, what are the implications about Jesus for our lives? Uh, Judgment-free environment in which you get to ask also all your questions. There's no silly questions. Uh, if that's something that you would like to be a part of, then please, after the service, come and speak to me, to Chris Rothwell over there who's organising, uh, to Mark or to Rod. So we're talking about hypocrisy. Why are Christians such hypocrites? And, and it's not a neutral question, is it? Hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. Well, it, it's, it's something that, that, it's not just bad in theory, it does something deep inside of us, it stirs up these emotions, that it's something so dark, something so wrong, that it, that it just, it makes us mad. And so, very aware that this is a tricky topic, uh, I recognise my need uh, for God's help in all of this, so will you join with me in praying, asking for his help? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the opportunity to meet together to think about real issues, issues that do have a massive impact on us. Uh, hypocrisy is one of those things that have impacted each one of us. 
uh, and we don't want to gloss over it. We, wanna, we don't want to uh, just pass over it. We want to really understand uh, why it has such an impact on us. We want to understand what you think about it and we want your grace to be enabled to respond to it in the right way. And so we ask now that you'd give us clear thinking, that you'd enable us to understand uh, and respond rightly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The World Swimming Championships were recently held in South Korea, and it became the surprising place for a very, very public protest. Mac Horton, Australian swimmer, Olympic champion, was beaten into second place by his long-term rival, Chinese swimmer Sun Yang. But Sun Yang has faced a three-month suspension for a doping violation, and a, a recent uh, avoidance of a drug test means that there's clouds starting to hang over Yang's results. So when the uh, presentation ceremony for the medals came about, Mac Horton refused to stand on the dais next to a convicted drug cheat. Australian bad sportsmanship or a very powerful protest against doping? Well, many of Mac's uh, fellow swimmers got behind him, said, good on you, great job. The international media sang his praises. He's a hero who's up for clean sport. But not everybody got on board. Greg Baum, an Australian uh, columnist for The Age, an Australian newspaper, he had this to say. When it comes to violations of the drug code, Australia is not immune. Alongside Horton in this Australian team is Thomas Fraser Holmes, who missed three drug tests in 2017 and was banned for a year. It was all a misunderstanding, of course. It nearly always is when an Australian is involved. <laughs> nice for a mate to be calling out a mate, isn't it? Uh, this is not his enemy, this is a, a fellow Australian. So Greg Baum wrote that just straight after the event took place. And things got a whole lot worse a few days later when it became public knowledge that fellow Australian swimmer Shana Jack had been caught out with a, with a, a doping violation. She'd taken something uh, that resulted in a, in a blood test which had been checked again to make sure that it was real and she was guilty. Now she, like Yang, pleaded her innocence. There's nothing that she had done. She'd never intentionally cheated. Perhaps it was supplements, vitamins that she was taking that were contaminated that had led to this, this drug test. So she was sent home from the championships before she'd swum a stroke. Now, naturally, uh, a number of people thought that this was quite interesting. And so the South China Morning Post had this to say. To his silver medal for coming second to Sun Yang, Mac Horton can now add gold for hypocrisy. And quite a way with words, isn't it? But it wasn't just the Chinese that were having a go at Horton. This is uh, Doug, uh, sorry, Dick Pound, uh, an Englishman, the founder of the uh, World Anti-Doping Authority. Australia has always been pretty firm about its opposition to doping. But if the source is good for the goose, it has to be good for the gander. If you are going to be holier than thou, you should come to the discussion with clean hands. See, Hortons are hypocrite. Australians are hypocrites. And what I think that this episode, this whole saga demonstrates is the passion, the, the emotions that are brought up by this whole idea of hypocrisy. If Christians are hypocrites, what does that mean? 
if that question is a, a valid accusation, if it's actually true, it's not just a mild critique. In the eyes of today's world, hypocrisy is possibly the worst moral failure that anyone can possibly be accused of. If uh, in some circumstances where we are willing to forgive athletes who've made a bad decision, who've, who've got caught up in their whole desire to win. So Steve Smith, former captain of the Australian cricket team, well, he did the wrong thing and he admits it. Uh, he, as the captain, approved of the use of sandpaper as an intentional way of cheating, trying to make the match go their way. Now, if Smith had beforehand gone about preaching that cheating is bad, you're not allowed to use sandpaper in cricket games, then when he was caught out, then the reaction to him probably would have been quite different. But because he was apologetic, because he'd been caught out doing the wrong thing, he was repentant, people have said, well, he's done the crime, he's done the time, so let's just move on and let him come back and be captain so we can win the Ashes. See, good guys like Steve Smith deserve a second chance, don't they? But hypocrisy, hypocrisy is much worse than making a mistake. When people have set a standard and then they don't match the standard, well, I'm not sure that we actually do deserve forgiveness. And so if it is true that Christians are hypocrites, well, what does it mean? Because I stand here before you tonight as living proof. I'm a hypocrite. I have set the Bible before people and said, this is the expectation of God of how we are to live. And then my behaviour hasn't matched up to it. On Father's Day of all days, I confess before you that, that I have sent my kids to their room when they've lashed out in anger at one of their siblings. But it's not just the fact that I've handed down a punishment and sent them off to their rooms. It was the way that I delivered. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, don't lash out in anger at your brother. <sighs> pot, calling the kettle black. It's embarrassing. Hypocrisy. I have had to apologise for my actions. And that's just an example of hypocrisy that I'm willing to admit in public. For other Christians, they've had their dirty laundry aired without any control whatsoever about what gets made public. The Christians who, the, the Christian pastor who's preached against adultery and then been caught in the act. Churches that have publicly said, we look after kids, and then they're found out protecting the ones who've committed sex crimes against kids. Australian Christians who've, who've been very proudly promoting family values, and yet it's known that they were one of the lead people in taking Indigenous Australian kids away from their families. The Crusades, German Christian support of Hitler, the list could go on and on. When it comes to the, 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 the evidence, Christians are hypocrites. We don't just make mistakes. We say one thing and we do another. But perhaps even more powerful than the, than the exposed public failures is the fact that for most of us, this is a personal issue. For anyone who's been around Christians, who's been a part of a church for any length of time, the reality is, is this has actually hit home personally. Jesus said that by our love for one another, we'll be known as his disciples. And yet the reality is, is that the church promotes itself along those lines, saying we're all about love. 
And yet why is it that some of the deepest wounds that have been inflicted upon many of us are the direct result of Christians, direct result of so-called friendly fire? Why is it that Christians are so good at chasing after their own? Why is it that Christians are so good at going beyond their own and chasing after others as well? The result of real-life cases, we've seen that Christian who, who speaks nicely outside but gets angry behind the scene. We've been the, the victim of their nastiness. The contradiction between their words and their actions. It's not just bad in theory, it's hurt us deep inside. And I think that there are implications that flow from this fact. It's claimed that hypocrisy means that Christians have forfeited the right to speak on, into moral issues. See, if being a Christian doesn't actually make people good, isn't that proof that Christianity simply doesn't work? If Christians themselves can't practice what they preach, well, why should I bother listening to them at all? And I think it's right to acknowledge the intensity of the criticisms against Christians is because of what Christians claim. See, sports people don't claim to be the ones that set the standard for moral behaviour. That's not their area of expertise. They're experts at their particular sport. And they happily accept that they get judged based upon their performance in their area of expertise. But is it fair for the media or for us to judge a swimmer based upon their moral performance when that's not their area of expertise. Perhaps being good at a sport is not the final criteria for determining who should be our heroes. But Christians, it's said, on the other hand, do claim that they have the right to tell everybody how they should live. When it comes to moral things, at least in one sense, it's logical to expect more from Christians because that's our area. And so as the double standards of Christians are exposed, it's not just individuals who are found guilty. It's not, it's not the church that's found guilty. The whole belief system seems to come under a cloud of suspicion. The evidence of hypocrisy is overwhelming. It's undisputed. But before we close the case and condemn Christianity as a dead end that's no help to us, we need to examine the arguments just a little bit closer. If being a Christian doesn't make people good, isn't that proof that Christianity doesn't work? Well, I'm not sure that the, ac the argument actually holds up when it's tested. If we were to use this same logic in other parts of our lives, it would rule out all sorts of things that we accept are valuable, that are, that are beneficial. Road rules clearly don't prevent all road accidents taking place. And we don't, in response, therefore, get rid of all the rules. It's often because the rules are being broken that the accidents take place. Likewise, telling kids to behave doesn't mean that there's no disobedience. And yet, I'm yet to meet a parent that says, OK, no rules, just do whatever you want all the time. We've all known people that have been undergoing treatment for chemotherapy and then in the end they still die of their cancer hasn't led to the closing down of oncology departments all over the world, hasn't shut the hospitals because medicine doesn't work. And it comes to political systems, democracy. We realise very clearly that there are problems, big problems in democracy. We hear them on the news every day. And yet we still believe in the system that there's something right in there and we, we want it to work. We, we want it to be even more fair. We want it to do what it's designed to do. 
on all sorts of issues, we accept that in real life, there's a gap between theory and practice. We don't, as a result, throw out the baby with the bathwater. The argument that hypocrisy proves that Christianity doesn't work is also ignoring the fact that sometimes things are undergoing a process on all sorts of things. We have to withhold judgment until the end. And so I don't judge a piece of music based upon how a beginner musician plays it. I don't uh, evaluate a defensive strategy based upon how the under sevens put it into practice. I don't judge a recipe based upon the ingredients as they're, they're sitting on the bench in the kitchen. I wait till it's been put together and, and cooked and then I get to eat it. And most Christians will accept that they are a work in progress too. We are hypocrites undergoing renovation. Some of us are even a renovator's delight. Now, don't assume, therefore, that our hypocrisy is confirmation that we approve of it or we, we just don't care. It's not the case. Seen rightly, hypocrisy is a problem that we're seeking to get rid of. And this has led some churches to put up this cheeky sign. This church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for more. But it's, it's not an accusation. It's an admission and an invitation. It recognises that, yes, we are doing the wrong thing. We know it, we're sorry for it, and we're asking God to fix us. We're, we're a hospital of hypocrites undergoing treatment. Now, please hear me carefully. None of this is offered as an excuse for Christian hypocrisy. Hypocrisy remains something truly terrible, perhaps even more terrible than some of us are willing to admit. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus saved his most stinging rebuke for hypocrites. And so in the Matthew passage that was read earlier, uh, we have some of Jesus' clearest words on the topic. Matthew 7, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I think this is perhaps the, the new world's most quoted Bible verse. Even non-Christians quote this verse to Christians, people who supposedly trust in the Bible, pointing out that when we hold others to a standard, well, Jesus is going to hold us to that standard as well. It's not just their, their opinion, their, their interpretation of the verse. It's what Jesus says in verse 2. Jesus points out the ugly inappropriateness of pointing out others' sin when we ourselves are guilty of sin. And so with the use of an unforgettable image, we can almost feel the pain as a speck of sawdust is plucked from our eye. I don't know if you've... Uh, had the experience, most of us had a bug stuck there, a little piece of dirt. It's incredibly painful as it's sitting in there or as somebody tries to take it out. And if, if, it, if it is somebody that cares for us, who's trying to be gentle, it still hurts like crazy. But this metaphorical eye surgery that Jesus is talking about, it's done not only without anaesthetic, it's done by someone with a giant log hanging out of their eye. It's terrifying. It's a horrible image. But hang on a second. In Jesus' story, which person am I? Am I the one having the, the thing plucked out or am I the one plucking? Verse 5, you hypocrite, is clearly a, a scathing condemnation from Jesus. Jesus says that if any of us overlooks our own faults and instead points out the faults in others, then we are the guilty surgeon rather than the mistreated victim. 
Jesus points out that we need to prioritise our dealing with our own wrong rather than chasing after other people's wrong. Christians must not try to squirm out from Jesus' clear command here. If we are thinking, speaking, behaving in ways that are not in line with God's ways, then those are things that we need to repent of and flee from, not to use as tools to criticise or to condemn others. But it's not just Christians that need to hear Jesus' warning. All of us have expectations, uh, standards for what we believe is right. All of us have drawn the, the metaphorical line in the sand. Now, we might draw our lines in different places, but all of us have a standard of what we believe is right, what we believe is wrong. And no matter where we draw the line, Jesus points out that none of us actually keep our expectations. It doesn't require months and months of self-reflection to realise that we don't match up to our own standards. We call out our children's disobedience. Haven't we been guilty of breaking the same rules? We, we rage at the, the driver who cuts us off in traffic and then we wave apologetically when we unintentionally make a little mistake. We condemn somebody else's gossip by talking to a third party about it. The problem for all of us is that whoever calls out hypocrisy is a hypocrite. All of us have judged and therefore will all be judged. I think it's right Christians can accurately be called hypocrites. But beware, as we make that call, according to Jesus, we become guilty too. So if Jesus says that everyone is a hypocrite, then what's Jesus' solution for hypocrisy? It's not as some people take verse 1 of Matthew 7 to mean that, that we've just got to lower the bar, even lower, so that everyone can get over it. See, it, it just doesn't make sense. We can't lower it like that. None of us in the end really believe that it's right or fair. What about the, the child abusers, the murderers, the, the terrorists? We, we hold on to the, the, the right, we demand the right, to be able to judge certain behaviours. Some behaviours are just obviously wrong. But whose obvious is the standard of what is wrong in the end? We can debate the various conclusions, debate where the line should be drawn. But what does Jesus say about this? Well, in the second set of verses that were read earlier, Jesus contrasts two men, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And I think that the typical Aussie take on this passage is probably to assume that the Pharisee is one of the religious elite, a professional theologian. Tax collector, just a regular guy. It would be easy to read this story and to, and to be inclined to back the underdog, to, to want the tax collector to give that stuck-up guy his, what he needs to get. But to understand the emotional impact that Jesus' words would have had on his original readers, we need to update the story a little bit. We hear the title Pharisee, and many of us assume straight away, hypocrite. But in Jesus' day, Jesus' listeners would have heard Pharisee and thought, good guy, moral crusader, somebody who's better than I am. The Pharisees had given their whole lives to, to knowing and pleasing God. These were our modern-day equivalent of a Mother Teresa the kind of people who, who run soup kitchens or house the homeless, the kind of people that set up hospitals in war zones. So the Pharisees were the shining example of somebody whose walk perfectly matched their talk. 
In contrast, the tax collector is an easy target. Collecting taxes means that he had betrayed his nation. A leech, bottom feeder, traitor. See, much as pedophiles are viewed by many people today, tax collectors were seen as subhuman, a blight on their society. And so Jesus here actually tells a story of a man who had kept all the standards and another man who had broken them all. The Pharisee stands by himself, probably right about here. Uh, He's somebody who's kept the highest of standards, a, a, a man who, based upon his actions, is rightly considered better than everyone else. He's grateful that he's not guilty of sins like robbery, evil, adultery, or heaven forbid, tax collecting. Oh, he's no hypocrite. He has taught the standards, but he's also kept them. And so he proudly recounts all that he's done. He not only meets the rules, in many cases he's gone above and beyond. He fasts twice a week and gives a tenth of all that he has. God is lucky to have a guy like him, somebody who not only knows the standards, but keeps them as well tax collector then comes into view. He stands at a distance. Does he, does he hide somewhere out the back? Because he's, he wants to be out of sight of the condemning looks that he no doubt received when he went up to the temple. Everybody knew what he was up to. They knew the wrong that he'd been doing. He stands at a distance. He won't look up to heaven, the, the dwelling place of God, because he's ashamed of what he's done. He bangs on his chest. An outward, visible sign of the inward, invisible sorrow that he was feeling. And his words perfectly match his actions. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And with a perfectly timed punchline, Jesus delivers the shocking verdict. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Hang on, what did, what did Jesus just say? That the bad guy goes home right with God, that, that simply by saying sorry, he gets off scot-free. That's not fair. Words are cheap. This is the biggest hypocrisy of all, some will argue. Christianity is just like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. You preach that we have to love, we have to do good, we have to be nice to people. You point out the fact that we've done wrong in this, done wrong in that. But then you say that you can live however you want, hurt anyone who gets in the way, and God just forgives it all if you say sorry. I think the outrage is understandable. Sorry is just a word. Last week we saw the Robert's car smashed in an accident. Now, if that was your car written off, would a verbal sorry from the at-fault driver cover it? Maybe perhaps they went a bit further. They wrote a nice little note and put it in a card for you. Stronger sorry. Is that enough? Well, of course not. Sorry doesn't pay for a new car. We want more than sorry. We want justice. We, we want things put right. And it's a good longing, a right desire. I think it's the underlying reason why hypocrisy makes us feel so, so bad. Hypocrisy makes a mockery of justice. But according to Jesus, justice won't result from people perfectly keeping all of the standards. No matter how hard we attempt to maintain them, the reality is is that we just cannot do it. 
The Pharisee tried. He tried his hardest and he was condemned. Was it his pride? Was it his overlooked sins? Was it the fact that he was chasing after others and condemning them rather than trying to help them? Well, we don't know. There was probably lots of things where he fell. It's Jesus alone who is able to avoid hypocrisy. His words and his actions are one. He said, consider others better than yourself. And then he got down and washed his disciples' feet. He taught very clearly, love your enemies. And then on the cross, what does he do? He prays for them. So Jesus' teaching is not just words. It was a summary of how he lived. And so as the only one who has perfectly kept the standards, he is the only one with the right to judge others. And as the judge, the judge of all, he declares that if we will cry out to him for mercy, he's willing to grant it to anyone who asks. Jesus himself tells us that asking for mercy is the only way by which we can meet God's standards. Far from making a public protest about our inadequate performance, Jesus says that he will come and stand alongside the one who has rightly been pronounced guilty. He actually goes even further than that. He invites us to come and stand with him on the number one spot on the dais that he has earned. It's a great quote which I think better summarises the facts of Christian hypocrisy. Christianity doesn't stand or fall on the way Christians have acted throughout history or are acting today. Christianity stands or falls on the person of Jesus and Jesus was not a hypocrite. He lived consistently with what he taught. See, again, I, I, I plead with you, don't see this as an attempt to minimise Christian hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is bad. Jesus himself condemns it. And I don't offer any excuses for it. But I do want to point you to Jesus, the only one who is not a hypocrite. His solution isn't to lower the bar or to tell us to try harder. He tells all of us to cry out for mercy. Some will ridicule this as simplistic, but again, I would encourage you to think about who it was that said this. It was the only one who not only didn't have a log in his eye, he didn't even have a speck there. It was Jesus, the only one whose actions perfectly matched what he said. And so can I encourage you to take those 90 minutes to read Mark's Gospel? Come along to discover on Tuesday night. Take one of the free Bibles from out on the desk if we look carefully at what Jesus did, we'll see the fulfilment of all that we desire, one in whom there was not even a hint of hypocrisy. If all that is written about Jesus is true, then we need to hear his command to cry out for mercy in the light of who he was and all that he did. Mercy is not a hypocritical way out of bad behaviour, but the one escape route offered to all hypocrites. Will you pray with me? Lord God, some diagnoses are harder to accept than others. And your word clearly shines the spotlight on not just Christians who are hypocrites, but all of us who are hypocrites. The reality is, is that no matter how hard we try, none of us is good enough. We can't even keep our own standards, let alone yours. We thank you that Jesus is unlike us in that way, in that his actions, his words, perfectly matched everything that he said. And he tells us 
that to cry out to him for mercy is the way to be right with you. And so, Lord, for some of us, we've already cried out for mercy decades ago and we still mess up and make mistakes. Help us again to cry out for your mercy and act rightly in response to it. For others who haven't cried out for mercy in the past, I pray that they would see Jesus, see him for the, for the perfect one that he is and realise that his command uh, is a command and instruction uh, motivated by love, a love that provides the one means by which we can be right with you. Pray that people would receive your mercy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.